0: Hey everyone, welcome back to SoundCore Stories. It's me, Sean, as always. And today I'm joined by Simon Gogli. How are you doing, Simon? I'm good. Thanks, Sean.
1: Nice ne- to be here.
0: <laughs> I nearly said it the wrong way again, <laughs> just <laughs> as I was coming up to it, you know, when you overthink things. So, for yeah, everyone listening, yeah. um, I pronounced Simon's name wrong. Um, I've been going back and forth, like reading over it, and uh, I nearly got it in my own head and just pronounced it wrong again, which would have been embarrassing. But Simon, for everyone listening,
1: could you introduce yourself to the Soundcore community? Sure. I'm Simon Googly. Well, I don't know. What else do you want me to say? Um, <laughs> this is this is your opportunity to pick
0: yourself up. Like, I know that you've worked with some big artists and you've won your Grammy winner. How many Grammys is it? Is it is it just the one? Just, just the mere one. Yes, I'm afraid. I say just the uh, one like it's nothing. <laughs> like, like I'm sitting here with Grammys. But... Um, yeah, just
1: brief intro. How- yeah, um actually I d- I was kind of hoping I could have got two, but um I I've, I've been nominated twice but both in the same year, which I thought was kind of extremely bad luck really. Um not to say that I would have won two years in a row, but it just happened <laughs> that way. Um so yeah, that was um that was for mixed work that I did for U2 and also for um Gwen Stefani um uh, albums that came out pretty close to each other um Gwen's first solo album I'd I'd already worked with her um with No Doubt so I did quite a bit of engineering on uh, a No Doubt album called Rock Steady nice um but yeah I've been I've been a studio engineer and then later on more of a mixer and a producer um, I started out in uh, the late 80s at Mayfair Studios in London, which was a really big place and you know very established, working with some pretty established artists and stuff. But I also did a lot of programming. At the time, I was kind of one of the few engineers around, I think, who was... Uh, I bought myself an Atari and an Akai sampler wow. from proceeds from some touring that I'd done. And uh, it meant that I could do programming on sessions as well as engineering, which was quite new at the time.
0: That must have been big in it, especially if you was doing that in like the 80s, you know? Yeah, a lot, yeah. A lot of people that... I feel like that time period in music is still around now in pop music. You know, it seems like everyone always goes back to the 80s to try and recapture those simp sounds or that yeah, whole it's, vibe.
1: it's very influential. I suppose we were just getting going with... Um, you know, the kind of affordable synths. I mean, synths had been around for quite a while, but they'd always been so expensive and so complicated that I think most people, we we used to hire people in on sessions specifically to do, and we'd have to record everything onto tape because then they'd take all their equipment away. Uh, So (laughs) it was good to get to the point where we could do, you know, I could do some sort of in-house programming and I had my sampler there i became pretty popular on a lot of sessions particularly with newer artists who were using things like drum loops um you know sampling things and moving them around this was all fairly new technology at the time um must have given you the edge you know like over if you if i can
0: imagine if you was an artist Maybe, maybe like an artist that didn't have a budget to like you said bring someone in to do the programming it must have given you an edge and be like hey let's let's go with Simon because we could get him to engineer it or mix it but also program yeah
1: yeah absolutely and um you know I've, I found myself in quite big demand even though I was still an in-house engineer and uh, while I was still in-house at Mayfair I had my first Hits, which was a track called "All Together Now" by The Farm, which is still gets a lot of play. I still yeah. get the occasional, still occasional, pretty, pretty big song. little bits of little <laughs> bits of royalties and stuff from that. And that was a case in point because I was, I, I kind of stepped in. Uh, the other engineer who was on the session had to had to go away. I was called in for the weekend when they were mixing the track. They wanted to do some overdubs, so I had to do some recording as well and also they wanted things sampling and looping and stuff and so I brought in my my equipment and I could do all of those jobs so um, I ended up mixing the track and doing drum programming on it and things like that so it was a really great experience for me and it was a big hit so I just kind of that was quite early on in my career and I thought oh this this isn't that hard. <laughs> <laughs> were you nervous? Cause
0: did that come? Because oh, yeah. you'd, you'd obviously yeah. been like working, working in the studio and stuff and like building up, but you know, it must have, was it tough to go kind of be where you're a little bit like, well, I know what to do, but can I do it? And this is like, if I mess this up, is this gonna set me back quite a bit or on the flip side, were you more like, wow, I could nail this. And then this is like my foot's fully in the
1: door. Yeah, I think I had been, I'd already been working there for a couple of years at that point. So I, and I'd been in some fairly high pressure uh, sessions with probably much more established artists, people like uh, Tina Turner, Bee Gees. Oh, wow. Um, George Michael. And um, as an assistant engineer, but I, it, I, it meant that I felt that I think I was quite comfortable by then and the farm was still pretty new. They just had one uh, one single uh, before that one that I was working on. So I felt like I wasn't quite under so much pressure and it was a it was a smaller session. Um, But because they just had a hit with their first single, we kind of I was kind of pretty excited about it because I thought, well, you know, if this is really good, then it could go somewhere and it was a very uh very catchy track and it was produced by uh Suggs from madness oh really which was interesting and um he was a great bloke i ended up doing a lot of work with him through the 90s as well um not directly as a consequence i think but you know we got on and yeah I, that, that that always helps i think if you get on with everybody to be honest, they left me to it most of the time. They, they kind of preferred to leave instructions and go down the pub.
0: <laughs> do, you, do you still, uh, sometimes you sit back and listen to the track and think,
1: ah, uh, this, you know, like I get a little bit nostalgic. Because I, I feel like... Cause- mm, occasionally. I I don't listen to it deliberately, but it does occasionally, (laughs) pop, uh, you know, appear on the radio or on TV or something or an advert. And I'm always quite pleased when that happens because I kind of think, yeah, to get like a few more. Royalties,
0: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I'd be, I'd be watching out for the adverts and uh, anytime it's used. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to go back a little bit more and just mm. what, what led you to, to going down this route of audio production and just wanting to even step foot in a studio? What,
1: what brought you to that point? Um, well, I'd always been a big fan of music throughout my uh, childhood and especially in my teens. I kind of really got into buying records. It was very much a big thing at that time in history, I guess. So, you know, you didn't have easy access to music. Or there weren't very many radio stations. There wasn't much music on TV apart from uh, Top of the Pops. And it really was a case of, you know, there was a certain prestige, I guess, amongst kids at school to owning the latest album by whoever was hot at the time. And, you know, little gangs of people who are into this band or that band or that type of music. It was it was kind of probably the equivalent now for a lot of uh, younger people would be, you know, into different types of games and stuff. Yeah. Um, So for me, kind of. Really getting into the music and reading the album sleeves, you know, getting to see who had done what, although I didn't understand what production was, or engineering I could I could probably tell you who engineered what album but I didn't know what they actually did. <laughs> yeah. And of course at that time there were no courses in music production or anything like that. So I realized that quite a lot of my favorite band members and so on had been to art school. I was into art as well so I decided I'd I'd go to art school and see what happened and of course you know didn't spend an awful lot of time doing my coursework probably I shouldn't mention that really being a university lecturer now <laughs> but, but uh yeah kind of got involved in music got, went to see loads of bands and when i when i left art school i was i joined a band immediately and luckily for me it was with a couple of younger guys who were really into new technology we we had synths and uh, an 808 drum machine which was a brand new thing to us wow yeah um And I kind of went from there really. I, I, I carried on working. I worked as a, as a uh, theater designer for, for a while. Oh, cool. Um, that was the course I'd done at art school, but at the same time I was, I was in, uh, I was in this band and eventually I started gravitating towards studios because we wanted to record. We, we had a, four track machine. So I sort of just getting my head around how to use that. And then we went into studios and made a couple of demos. And you know, once I'd been in a bigger studio, I thought, right, okay, I've got to get a bit more involved in this. And it was quite gradual, really. I I worked for a higher company delivering equipment to studios in London. So I got to know where most of the studios were, made made friends with a lot of uh engineers and producers and so on. And eventually um, one of the studios offered me a job. So that was windy route into it.
0: Sounds like you were, yeah, around a lot of like the studio equipment anyway. So, like,
1: well, and also I think I kind of made a, a point from being in bands and kind of hanging out in the London, especially during the, the 80s. This is from about 82 or so through to about 86, 87. During that period, obviously, London was just absolutely buzzing with loads of different scenes. And so I just used to get involved with that and go. spent a lot of time going out. I was going to say, you must have some stories. Um, <laughs> yeah, a few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of it was kind of just just being kind of involved and being around a scene and seeing what was going on and, and getting ideas. I'd got friends who were in other bands of course and one or two of them were um became successful or had at least had record deals so i would go and maybe hang out with them at the studio and just kind of see what was going on
0: it it sounds like it's kind of like a mixture of because you're obviously talented but it's like right place right time you know i think that's always the case with music like you said it's I remember from my days going on tour and stuff, half the reason we progressed is you, you can be, I used to think you could be the best band in the world, but you need to be put in front of the right people to even have that stage to get onto. And uh, yeah, so I always, found that, I always found that just from simply going for a drink with someone, you end up meeting someone else who actually is tied into this person and you end up really clicking and getting along. And then suddenly you find yourself on tour with this band or playing this show. And you're like, oh, okay.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, I, I had a friend um, during the 80s, there was a quite a major club called The Limelight, which has started out in America. And um, I had some friends who worked there. So I just kind of managed to sneak in and uh, I could sneak into the VIP room. And then there were, there were all these kind of, you know, 80s pop stars there. So not that I have particularly used that to my advantage <laughs> necessarily, but just kind of getting, Involved and feeling like part of the scene was was something. So I felt that when it came to getting the opportunities that came along later, I didn't feel too phased by them. I guess I, I I felt like I was in a good place to take advantage of that. I mean, when I first started working at Mayfair, I did a session with a band called Dead or Alive, who had had a big hit, yeah. and and I was working on a remix album with them. And we got on really well, and they just said to me, "Oh, do you want to come on tour with us to Japan?" <laughs> and I said, "Sure, why not? What uh, What do you want me to do?" And they just said, "Well, you know, just you can stand there and play a keyboard with one finger, and you know, it's more just kind of being part of the part of the gang, really." Wow, that must have been amazing. So, um, so the studio gave me some time off, and I went off to Japan and um, did a tour, which is. Funnily enough, the reason why I could afford to buy my sampler when I came back. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, these things all kind of end up being a bit connected. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. So, what would you say is the best thing about being an audio engineer? Uh, Mix
1: in. What what's the best part about what, what you do? Well, there's a huge amount of variety. I suppose, any kind of, uh, whenever you're working in a creative job and you're a freelancer, you're going to be working on lots of different kinds of projects and uh, with lots of different people. I mean, that's there's a positive side to it and a negative side, I guess. You know, there's no real stability in it, and you're kind of only as good as your last project. Uh, certainly, in the eyes of uh, record labels and so on, they're only really inter- interested in what you did last week rather than what you did. Are you, know? you more. Um... Because you're you're
0: you're so established, like, and you've you've had a, a long career. Are mm. you? Can you afford to be more picky about what projects you work on for that reason as well? Can you be? Um, do, you, do you find yourself thinking, "No, nah, I'm not going to do that one's a bit risky. If I mess, if I don't hit, maybe what someone wants from that, it's going to affect any more work that comes in."
1: Um, there's there's a, I think there's that thought with every job. Um, all the way through your career, you know, I'm always kind of thinking, am I going to fall flat on my face here? And there've been one or two occasions when sessions didn't go so well, and you know, the vast majority have have done those. So that's that's been a bit of a relief in some respects. But yeah, there, there are occasions where you work with somebody and you you find that you don't hit it off or you don't get on or what what you're doing isn't really what they want, and then. That particular relationship might not carry on, but other people you can find yourself working with time and time again over many many years. Uh, that that certainly happened with me. Most of the big things I did were tended to be through kind of more long-established relationships with particular artists or producers. What um, what made you want to um, go freelance
0: and set up your own um, set up your own studio?
1: Um, well, I've, I went freelance. Uh, a long time before I had my own studio, but I went freelance in the early nineties and you know, I'd had a couple of hits and I'd had, I was working with a few producers at the studio who were saying to me, you know, they'd like me to come and work with them in other studios. And I was like, well, I, I work here. So, oh, you yeah.
0: were tied, you were tied in with-, with Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You start, I was an in-house engineer at Mayfair and I think quite a lot of studios since then have become a bit more progressive. And I know that they allow their engineers to go and work elsewhere, but they they sort of manage them. But that was more of a later development. So in order for me to go and work in other places and go and travel around and do stuff, I, I had to go freelance, basically. Um, it was very risky, but, you know, I was still quite young and uh, didn't have to worry too much about providing for a family or anything like that. Um, I didn't actually... Uh, Set up my own studio until sort of the mid 2000s, because at that point I was getting more and more artists and labels asking me if we could work in my studio. And I was like, well, I don't have a studio. I had a set up in my garage, basically, (laughs) that that put like a sort of basic studio together, but it wasn't really a proper mix room. And I was still going and using, you know, the usual places. But as budgets tightened, Labels and artists just weren't prepared to pay big prices for studios anymore, really, unless they were super established. Yeah, and I guess I guess I've always liked the idea of working more with up and coming artists, new artists who I find exciting, alongside working with very established ones, of course, because they're the ones who tend to uh, pay the bills. I was going
0: to say, pay the bills a bit a bit more.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, be, being a freelancer, you, you're always thinking about that. Um, it would be great if I could just take jobs based purely on kind of artistic creative decisions. But, um, you know, there are times when you get an offer to mix a record and and you're getting paid well, then why not? I I just, I wouldn't do anything I hated, put it that way, but I, in some respects, I feel like I can be more objective if I'm working on something that I'm not too connected to. Yeah, I get like you. A bit to, you know, taking a sort of more analytical. You can look approach.
0: at it for you can look at it for what the song is, I guess. You know, like um yeah. Say say I'm really into hip hop, for example. If I was to work on the track, I'm gonna have my own real opinion on this and think, oh, come on, why doesn't it do this? Why can't we make it do this? Whereas if you're kind of just looking at the track from the outside and you're not connected at all, um, maybe not too infused. <laughs> enthusiastic might be the wrong word but you know you you can sit back and go right this will make it sound good this song sounds great this section does this job done
1: yeah i mean you you have to be analytical about the, the tracks that you're putting together whether you're producing or arranging coming up with sounds or whether it's simply mixing be you know you have to think of the you have to think of it in a holistic way, rather than um, getting carried away with you being a fanboy about <laughs> yeah. of something. I mean, it's always great to work on something you really like, and I have been lucky enough to do that a lot. But um, I still have to be capable of taking a step backwards and being objective about everything.
0: What what is your what is your favorite? Like, if if something was to drop into your inbox, like, hey, we want you to work on this track what would be like the perfect combination for
1: you? Like genre, style? Um, I like working with bands. Um, I've always liked working with bands. Uh, there's, There's a bit more of a kind of, I guess, creative and emotional investment in working with a group of people than there is with something that's maybe a solo artist or something where you're you're putting tracks together for somebody. I, I kind of, I, I like that thing of bouncing off people yeah. within sessions. It, I guess it happens less and less these days as people work more remotely, especially with the pandemic, of course.
0: Sonically as well, when you're working like with a, a band or a group for you, like when you sit down, what, what do you look for first to try and bring this song to life? Cause I know you, when we did yeah. the research, you said like the emotion, of a song of, of a song is what you like how do you start bringing that emotion through do you have a set procedure that you always go with or do you change each time
1: um it, it changes from one band to the next because they're always going to have a different approach but essentially what i'm looking for with uh, bands is something unique something that makes them different from anybody else um sometimes that comes naturally i did some work uh, a couple of years back on early tracks with uh, uh, Black Country New Road, who have been, you know, have produced some really great stuff and they were Mer- Mercury Prize nominated last year. Um, and working with them was great because they're just great musicians. They're really uncompromising. They won't do anything with their music that they don't personally feel fits or works correctly. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not kind of um, tied down to, any particular genre or or they're not trying to be commercial that's cool
0: i think that's an important one i guess you know like if you try and change yourself to fit in with the radio or something
1: yeah i mean and i think in in some respects when you have a band that does that kind of thing i mean one of my favorite bands at the moment is everything everything um i find it hard to keep up with their releases because they just do so much stuff but uh I generally really like what they do I've kind of been following them since before their first album came out and I'd love to work with them but on the other hand I'm almost like I'm glad i I don't because I can just enjoy the records <laughs> uh, I can just enjoy the tracks when they come out without having heard them a thousand times um I like electronic music I've always liked electronic music since um you know the, I first heard. Stuff in the seventies like craftwork and so on, but also having been in electronic bands, um, and I've done a lot of work over the years with uh, Underworld, uh, who are a very established uh, techno electronic act. Yeah.
0: Did I did I read this properly? And you worked on the Olympics as well. You, yeah. you done some work on the Olympics, right? What was that like? It was big. It was very big. <laughs> that's, a, that's an understatement. That one.
1: A massive it, understatement. It, yeah. Um,
0: what was the? Yeah. What was something like that? What's the pressure must have been insane. But then super big, rewarding yeah. watching it all come together because that was a big big ceremony.
1: Yeah, I mean, I often find sometimes my job is. Um, almost helping to alleviate pressure for other people. Sometimes Um, in that particular situation, I was doing that with Underworld. uh, And Rick from Underworld was the musical director of the opening ceremony. So he was under enormous pressure. (laughs) Yeah. And so I felt that whenever I was working on it with him, the, 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 the smoother that I could make the process and the more help that I could give him, the better. And we've always had that kind of relationship on projects that we've done. We've also worked on uh, the, the opening ceremony was directed by Danny Boyle, and um, Underworld have had a long-standing relationship with him. So I've subsequently worked on other Danny projects, mainly films. Oh, wicked!
0: What's it like on the film stuff? Is that one of my questions? I actually
1: is, really enjoy it. Really, you know, yeah, yeah. I was
0: I wanted to ask you, how do you keep? how do you keep excited about what you do? And it sounds like it's, you've got a variation here. Like the film stuff must be so different from working in a studio of a band, for example.
1: Yes, it's, it's totally different. You're working as part of a, a team more than as an individual. Um, particularly on films of that kind of scale. I've worked on uh, lower budget films as well, where I've been the kind of everything person, but on a film like one of Danny's, for example, that I, I was mixing music, but there'd be other people mixing dialogue and sound effects and things like that. And we're all working together at the same time, which is really nice. And, you know, doing it in a nice big dubbing theatre at Pinewood is kind of a pleasurable experience.
0: Oh, wow. What's it, what's it like having a... Because being working in studios, usually you're the guy in charge. You're running the show. What's it like yeah. when you have a room full of you? Or a team, like you just said. <laughs> do, you, do you do you have um, to, do you have a day of like bonding, or is it just everyone kind of gets along
1: straight away? Uh, there were a couple of pe- uh, people in the <laughs> team who who I knew already because we'd worked on a few things before. Oh, cool. Um, but then there's others who sometimes it's a new person, and everyone's very professional. It's it's very much like a kind of you know there's almost an office atmosphere about it to a degree (laughs) in that everybody knows what they've got to do. Yeah. And they're all kind of seasoned professionals because I suppose by the time you get to the level of working on a feature film, you've already done quite a lot of other work. And so, and the hours are more civilized as well.
0: Oh yeah, (laughs) there's probably no like 4am nights in the studio. Everyone finishing, yeah.
1: and, And I think that's kind of refreshing because it keeps it Kind of, you're not kind of grinding yourself into the dust. But everyone works really hard while we're there. Um, we we do a sort of nine to five, but usually starting probably more like eight in the morning and working through to about four or five in the afternoon. But that's long enough, you know, and it's very efficient. Um, it's kind of the almost the polar opposite of some band recording sessions where you just kind of improvising on the fly and you you do you go with the feel of what's happening. Sometimes you'll work all night because it just feels the right thing to do. Other times you'll you know you'll you'll sort of get stuck on something. But that doesn't really happen in film because the budget's too big. It has to be really organized. So
0: how how has talking of budgets and stuff, obviously the music industry, without making you sound old, you've you've experienced the music industry <laughs> from You've been, you were touring in a band in the eighties, you're around that scene. And you're still, you're still, (laughs) you are still you said it, not me. You're still in, um, you're still in music now. Budgets Mm -hmm. and everything have changed. How has that affected like your workflow? Because you, you, you must've experienced now where bands and labels would come to studios and have budget. So you would have time to work on an album or a project. Whereas now... For example, I could have a setup at home or just say, Hey, I want to come spend a day and I want to leave with a track. How is it how has it changed for you? Do you is it harder? Have you changed your workflow? Because you have less time to maybe work on a mix because a label wants it done in in a week, as opposed to yeah. maybe you, before you might have had two months, whereas now they might say, Here's a band for a week, we want this done. Like, what's it like now for you?
1: Um I think in some in some cases, like when I was working with Black Country and New Year Road, we recorded several tracks over a weekend. Um, you know, you, you you can do it, and we did it all on a very tight budget. We had no money. You know, I used my own microphones and borrowed stuff from other people, and we just found a space to record in that wasn't even a studio. So um, there were ways around not having too much money, but there are points where you reach a certain breaking point where it's like well if, if if you want something that's good then you maybe do need to spend a bit more time on it or you do need to spend a little bit more money on it um so sometimes when there isn't much of a budget i do have to say to people well you know this is going to take longer because i'm going to have to do it in my in my spare time basically yeah Um, you know i've got other things on and uh I can't always do everything immediately but if it's something that's really urgent you know occasionally people might need a mix for something that's coming out on youtube and there's a, there's a schedule and it has to be done so you you do it and um you kind of hope that i mean it it's something that young engineers and producers are faced with all the time where you do something kind of on the hope that it's going to be something special and that'll lead to to further work and kind of bigger budgets and that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's very tough with no budgets uh, a lot of the time. Do you think like the, do you think sound quality is being sacrificed? Like
0: this is, this, I brought this up on a few other podcasts because hmm. I think it's such, such an interesting topic because in on one hand, it's now really accessible to create and release music, which wasn't possible before for artists. But at the same time, because of that the more, there's more artists, which is, which is a good thing. but. More music, but is some of the quality of that disappearing? You know, like before, it was like such a statement for a band to go to a studio, and you're like, "Wow, this sounds amazing! This this band's Mm. huge." Whereas you could now have a band in a garage that perhaps isn't quite at that level yet, and they've recorded it, and then it gets put out and stuff. Where do you sit in all of this? Do you think sound is sound? Sometimes sound quality is now sacrificed with all of this new technology.
1: Um, I don't think it's so much sound quality as much as originality right i think yeah. i think in some respects having everything very easily available uh, on a laptop or whatever huge sample library is kind of immediately available and all that sort of thing you,
0: you must love that
1: being into sampling by the way <laughs> oh well to, to a degree but i i kind of i still go back to making my own samples i don't really like using other people's samples because i i never used to do that because um, I always had to make my own in the first place because there weren't so really very many sample libraries around when I first had a sampler. So it's like, well, I had to do all the sampling. Uh, and and I, I kind of would encourage my students to do the same thing because if you sample your own sounds and you make your own sounds, then nobody else has got them. Your your music or your piece or your beats or whatever it uh, is, is, all, they're always going to be unique um whereas a lot of people sort of just fall back on whatever's the easiest way to do it and of course it's very easy to make a track in any daw um with all of the instruments and loops that are available and so on and, and so i think a lot of people do fall back on that and and their their originality can suffer as a result i don't think you know sound quality obviously know the better you get at recording and the better you get at mixing and so on you can improve that over time but i think the the content is just far more important yeah um i I mean when I, i when i grew up punk happened when i was a teenager for example and it was one of the most exciting things that happened to music at the time you you could certainly argue that the artists Leading up to that, which kind of punk was reacting against, um, the sound quality of what they did sound, was much better. But punk had more had energy and rawness, and sort of um, was really genuine. Until it became more commercialized, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but then, by then, we we're all into electronic music, so it didn't matter.
0: Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's so, just such a so much to it. I want to. I want to move forward to now, um, hmm. before we come to the end of the podcast and stuff, because you, like you've mentioned, you you have students of your own now. And you're passing on the wisdom that you've acquired. So, yeah, what's it? What is it like being a university lecturer? And did you ever see yourself <laughs> heading down this road? Or
1: talk, no, not talk? really. No, I I kind of did you um, fall into
0: it? Did you just kind of? The pandemic happened, of, and then
1: someone said, "Hey." Oh no! I I, I started much uh, longer ago than that. I I oh, first no. first started doing some teaching around about 2015, I think. Um, somebody I knew, I I, I had a good friend who was all, who was a university lecturer, um, a sort of much higher level than me. He ended up being a professor. Wow. Um. Uh. But he said, you know, we we need people with industry experience to come in and teach. You know there were far too many people teaching music production who were just academics um without any actual music industry experience or very little um so i i started doing some part-time teaching at a college in guildford called acm um just you know the occasional day here and there and they very much threw me in at the deep end it's a commercial college i didn't get any sort of training. They just said, oh, just go in that room and kind of tell them stuff. <laughs> so I kind of learned a bit on the job, but then uh, I, I sort of felt that I needed to, well, apart from the fact that Guildford's a really long way from where I live, <laughs> I I felt that I needed to kind of get involved in more sort of structured way and learn and, and actually learn how to teach properly because I I felt like I didn't really know quite what I was doing. So are you
0: not were you not making lesson plans? Were you just kind of rocking up? and
1: Oh no, I was. I was making <laughs> uh, I was making lesson plans. and I was putting together slides that were sort of, you know, way over the top probably ah, because I yeah. because I because I felt like I had to have the whole thing scripted out because I didn't really I wasn't so confident in just standing up and talking in front of people. I'd always been the person on the other side of the glass and not you know not really the performer yeah so and it is a bit like giving a performance um to a degree because you've got to keep people engaged you know you've got to keep them interested it mustn't get boring so i felt like i needed to learn how to do it properly and so i, I applied for a job at i was at anglia ruskin university in cambridge for a while and um, part-time but they um enabled me to do a teaching uh teaching qualification Oh, nice. So, so I've done that, and it's kind of pretty much expected that as a university lecturer, you'll have disqualification. It's um, fairly standard. Um, so I did that, and then I, all the way through this period, I was working a bit uh, part time at Westminster University as well, which is where my friend worked. So, I got a an in there, and eventually, um, a full time position came up at Westminster. And uh, so I interviewed for that and got that a um, couple of years back, and so I've been there since. Um, I mean, obviously, it takes up a lot of time, but it's good because it's kind of it's a steady job, which is probably one of the first steady jobs I've ever had. Right. But but it means that I can still uh, because I'm teaching music production. They're very much uh, you know. Keen and happy for me to do my own projects as well because they feed off each other, and it it's meant that I can stay up to date with uh, developments in technology and software and so on. I'm I'm doing quite a lot of work on uh, researching spatial audio and yeah, immersive, that's, that's immersive really, audio, that sort of thing. Really big right now, isn't it? Yeah, and. Because it's a art, uh, Westminster School of Arts basically has lots of other departments to it. It has film, broadcasting, uh, computer games, you know, all of these things need audio. So I'm getting involved in collaborative projects with those areas as well. So if anything, my, my sort of understanding of audio has really expanded over the, over the last few years. Yeah. Due, to teach, due to teaching really, which are, for me it was always much more of an instinctive thing before that. But now I've kind of really thought an awful lot more about, you know, what's involved and in the, the actual kind of science behind it and techniques, obviously, because I have to explain them to people and I've got to kind of demonstrate them.
0: Yeah, because I had a couple of questions. Where I was, first of all, I was, I was wondering, like, are you picking up any new tips and tricks from your students or areas that you haven't looked at previously? But you've just, you just completely answered it because you're in, an, in that environment. You are naturally now gaining this new knowledge.
1: But then, secondly, well, and, and, and yeah, I'm keeping up to date with kind of trends in, in different genres and stuff like that. I mean, I know a lot about trap. Now, which I, <laughs> <laughs> because so many of my students are into making that kind of music, And you know, so I, I need to understand what they're doing, um, to be able to give them advice. I mean, I could, there are certain aspects of production and mixing that are kind of pretty much universal, I think, like um, structuring arrangements and building. Uh, building feels throughout a track, you know, transitions between different sections and things like that. I think it's that's the same across all genres, really. So, which is good because I, I can give them the experience of having done that across lots of genres into yeah. whatever they're, whatever they're doing. And I encourage them to try other things and be as individual as they can. The whole thing about making your own sounds and making your own samples, for example.
0: Yeah, and like, you're the perfect example of someone that you had one of the original samplers. So Hmm. going back to what you said about trap, people wanting to make beats that it's kind of like you can take on first look, they might think, Oh, what's, what's this lecturer talking about? Okay. We get it. (laughs) He, he, he did this back, back then. You can actually be like, well, no, this is the whole music that you're listening to now. And that is on Spotify. This is how you do it. This is the actual. So I think that's, that's really cool. Is there anything like in particular you notice that, um, people really want to learn from you. That's different to when you started out, you know, uh, like your fresh students coming in and they're really like, Oh, we want to learn to do this. How'd you do this? How'd you do this? Whereas when you first went in the studio, you were more like, how do I do this? I really want to learn this. Like what is the thing that everyone gravitates to? That's different.
1: I think, um, most of my newer students, when they first come to, uh, the course, especially undergraduate students, not so much master students. Uh, they tend to be more uh, mature people from maybe different areas, uh, and they have very different skill sets. We've, we've got a really diverse collection of people on who do masters, but uh, the undergraduate students and a lot of them are kind of pretty much straight out of school, and they're what I what we'd call bedroom producers, I suppose. And a lot of them haven't really recorded much at all. They might have recorded a few bits of vocal, but even some of them haven't recorded vocals. They're just, they're, they just they just want to make you know beats is their thing. So um, they they kind of it, it sort of experience a bit of a mixture of wanting to explore and record new things, but also being a bit scared of it because they've never really even kind of worked out what a microphone is a lot of the time yeah and th- th- there's nothing wrong with that that's just a kind of way that that they've come through because they're the generation that you know started out on a computer whereas it's like my generation that ended up on a computer you know my generation would start up start off by picking up a guitar or um hitting something with a stick yeah <laughs> and pointing yeah. and pointing a microphone at it because it's the only way you could record it onto like cassette tape or something. So you'd learn all those kind of very low tech technologies, whereas these guys kind of coming at it completely the other way around. They, they're starting off with the high tech stuff and then having to almost kind of go backwards. To, yeah.
0: Kind of work backwards to get the fundamentals of like, I yeah. guess, because, I guess because you, now you get a lot, especially because everything you can do on a laptop, you know, so where you've, you, you've progressed using analog gear, I could now go on a laptop and there's something that replicates that, like a reverb or a delay, whereas you will probably know how to do that using an actual machine that you're touching and fiddling knobs.
1: Well, so that, that's, that's one of the things that I think is important for them to learn because it's like, well, yeah, th- there's no reason why you shouldn't use a plug-in version of something, but it's important to understand how the real thing works and how to use it, how to create your own... For example, I do stuff about creating your own reverbs and about acoustics and psychoacoustics. How these things work? You know, how do we perceive sound? There's a lot of um, theory in it as well as just practical studio work. You know, yeah. because because it's kind of fundamental for them to understand the the concepts behind uh, production and recording as well as just the practical doing of
0: it does it feel like does it do you get like a sense of fulfillment from the teaching as well you know like because you you've, you've done all the studio work and stuff and we spoke about how to keep that exciting but passing yeah. on all of this and teaching them these fundamentals do you come away thinking yeah i've, I've done i've done like my good deed of the day oh, yeah. keeping sound sound alive they they now learn they now know why reverb is reverb like how that even happens it must feel good yeah.
1: Oh, it feels great. And it's got, you know, if I can, like at the end of a lecture, have one, one even just one student going, oh, wow, really found that interesting or inspiring. Um, that that makes me feel great because it's like, well, I've, somebody's knowledge has progressed. They, they're going to try new things. I'm always encouraging them to try new things, not to just stick with what they know. There's no point in coming to university And making beats on your laptop for three years, yeah, because you could you could just stay at home and do that. So, um, you know, I sometimes it's a little bit of a battle. Maybe during the first year, you've quite a lot of sort of trying to get people out of their habits and try new things. But I think once they start experiencing that um, and how effective it can be, and how good the results can be. <clears throat> they really engage and that's always really really satisfying
0: have you surprised um,
1: yourself with um knowledge you've
0: do you know like no, obviously, so. obviously you know you know what you're teaching but have you ever sat back and gone wow actually this accident i had in the studio i actually knew what i was doing and i'm teaching it
1: you know yeah well sometimes when i had those accidents in the studio certainly in the earlier part of my career, I probably didn't really know what I was doing. I just thought, oh, it's, it, it, it sounds good. Yeah, but that I don't, sounds good, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know why. And I don't know why this EQ or whatever sounds nicer than that EQ, but it just does. But now I've, I've kind of studied a lot more about it. I mean, I, I, I did go into quite a lot of, uh, I had to do quite a lot of study, obviously on some of these areas, like to be able to teach acoustics I had to, I had to kind of take a few steps backward and say, "Well, I know the end results of acoustics, but yeah. how does how does it actually work?" And um, so I've learned a lot of new things here. Yeah, it's, um, and I did surprise myself by actually being able to understand some of the science behind it, which is quite something because it's not. Some of it's not very easy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was just. I think we could probably talk about that for. For hours, and it used to hurt my head thinking about it. It's, (laughs) but um, Simon, it's been great having you on. I really appreciate you uh, supporting Liberty Free Pro and coming on the podcast. Um, No problem. I'm sure we can catch up again and go into a bit of this science.
1: Um, Yeah, it'd it'd be fun. Be fun to do to do some more. And uh, yeah, I think I think the community would really like it.
0: Yeah, it'd be great. But for now, where can people find out? Do you have like a website um, that showcases some of your
1: work? Where can people keep up with what you're doing? My website, uh, as far as I'm aware, is currently inactive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so not really. I, I guess Instagram, um, Twitter, Facebook, Um those are probably the places to find me at the moment I'm trying to keep up with the way people do things now it sounds you know? like you're a busy busy guy anyway so I don't blame yeah. you for trying to keep up I just, you know I, I don't having a website these days for me I used to be important but I don't think it's really quite so important for me now um, well, we'll put I, some links
0: I'm, we'll put some links in the description of this and people can, everyone you can find out what Simon's up to that way appreciate you coming on it's been great and uh, we'll catch up again soon yeah,
1: good stuff. Thanks, John.